At Founders Brewing Company, we set out to create a beer that lets you embrace the unconventional. Mortal Bloom is a radiantly beautiful, hazy IPA that will wrap your taste buds with intense citrus and tropical notes of pineapple and mango. Coming in at 6.2% ABV with big aromatics and no bitterness, it's the perfect beer, if we do say so ourselves. Visit foundersbrewing.com to find Mortal Bloom Hazy IPA. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. The queen's pussy. (laughs) I will lick the queen's dead pussy. She's dead. Soon. She's dead. Is she? I know for a fact she's dead. Because you know why? Because I finally slept. Not wondering what the queen's doing. What is the queen doing? Um, This series that we're about to launch into. First of all, Kissel's a big fan of this guy. What do you mean a big fan of this guy? You, you remember, from- because Dog Meat, he's been sending messages about this character for like a minute. He has been obsessed oh, wow. with this guy. It's because his last name is cheese related, if you think about Kraft cheese. <laughs> and then I just thought he was quite intriguing. So I'm happy we're covering him. Yeah, you're a big old fan. Big fan. He's been what? saying this. Yeah. Num- Randy Kraft's number one fan, Ben Kessel. <laughs> and this is really going to be an interesting ridiculous. series. But this, this heavy hitter, I'm going to say straight up. It's like we're in the way back machine to 2011. Yeah. This is old school muck. All you best right. got your you best get your goddamn true crime grime boots on because it's about to get icky sticky up in this shit. Lace them up, folks. <laughs> Welcome to the last podcast on the left. I am Ben Kissel hanging out with Marcus Parks and Henry Zabrowski. Yes, this is true. I have been requesting that we do this man you for love quite this a while. You, I don't yeah. love him. You love him. You love his look. You love his attitude. You love what he does. It is interesting. It's a, it's a wonderful, uh, it's a disgusting tale. That will be wonderful to learn about mm. for our audience. Oh, uh, so this is you were just saying from an educational standpoint, you love what he does. I only talk about everything from an educational standpoint. Oh, yeah, I know. I think yes. yeah, with tincture, um, with the fact that Jerry ate a tub of butter last night. Buddy, I have had no sleep. Jerry ate a tub of butter. It's been a day. Also, I found out someone is stealing copper pipes from my house. You gotta, I don't know what's you going gotta on go anyway. <laughs> All right, Randy Kraft, part one. Let's get into it. Now, even though serial killings in America peaked during the 1980s with an estimated 200 serial killers operating nationwide at any one time, the 1970s always have been and most likely always will be the decade of the serial killer. These were days when serial killing was fully acknowledged as a reality for the first time, even though the phenomenon had been occurring in human populations for most likely the entirety of modern consciousness. Every single t- hmm. Ever since there's been sharp things... 
people have been killing groups of people with yeah. them. It seems like most technologies are only created for violence. Mm. No. Or pornography. Or sex. You see, pornography, mm. you remember, because they chose Blu-ray. Which That's is why right. Blu-ray went over instead of HD. They sure. were really big. And also what it comes down to, yeah, I guess it's really about can you kill with it? Can you cut meat with it? Or can you fuck it? It's all about yeah. killing and coming. But <laughs> you know, I mean, and so is this series. Absolutely. Yeah. Partly, though, this acknowledgement came to the fact that serial killing couldn't be ignored any longer. Because the longer we study serial killers, the more I truly realize the scope of what even a hundred killers operating at one time really means. Yeah. There's a reason why investigators had to codify serial killer investigation, creating designations like MO, victim type, and motivation. This was not only to catch killers, but to separate multiple killers who were operating at the same time in the same place using similar methods. That's why I believe we have to end the serial killer free market it needs regulation. Sure. And everything it really comes down to, let me be clear, I'm going to call up my friend Corn Pop here. All right, uh -huh, come on, folks. Sure. Come on, folks. We need some regulation here, folks. Unbridled serial killer competition. That's what we need on the streets of this country. I don't know. that. I feel like maybe your laissez-faire libertarian attitude towards serial killer activity is why we're getting so many different types. And yes, it's helpful for beer. Sure. And weed, but I don't know if it's great for the... Bunch of people living by the freeway. Yeah. And as far as investigation goes, so does the media follow with serial killer nicknames to differentiate between headlines. Often, those nicknames came from MO or victim type, like BTK in the case of the former or the co-ed killer in the case of the latter. Sometimes, however, as is the case with, say, Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer. Gary! Small-headed Gary! Oh my goodness, you're going to drive him to kill! Gary! I actually just saw a special called Catching the Killer. It's, like a, it's yeah. the same thing I talked about last week about how it was a whole episode of Canadian cops bragging about how they almost didn't catch Bruce MacArthur. And they did another one about how they almost didn't catch Gary Ridgway. Great. And cutting back to him just being like, yeah, I killed her. Yeah, yeah, do it again. He's you know, such like, a piece of shit. Like, we didn't get this guy. Well, as with the Green River Killer, the nickname comes from the location where the bodies were found. And that's certainly the case with today's subject, the Freeway Killer. It's <laughs> a cool name, but there's but there was a lot of them. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, the thing is, the Freeway Killer, I think it sounds somewhat generic. It's nowhere sure. near as evocative or catchy as like the Night Stalker or the Hillside Strangler. You yeah. know what the fuck you're getting with those guys. Sometimes. Yeah, don't go anywhere near a hill. Absolutely <laughs> not, let alone the side of one. But what the media and the police didn't know at the time is that the freeway killer was actually three different men operating at roughly the same time in roughly the same region using roughly the same disposal method. So who is Bill Cosby here and who's Carlos Mencia? Well, we have no idea either way someone's stealing a lot of material, and that ain't right. No. And that's the their worst crimes. Do you ever think they would run into each other and just be like, what brings you out here? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> wow. This sounds like, it, it is a sketch. That it sounds really like a is. sketch, yeah. but yes, there might have been. Who knows? Well, partly, these freeway killers used California's highway system as an easy getaway device after they disposed of the bodies, just like Richard Ramirez used the freeways of Los Angeles to quickly flee from the neighborhoods where he committed his crimes. Other motivations, however, included making sure that the victims 
would be found. This is key. Mm. This is really key to this style of serial killer because these three right now, I think we're going to we're going to loosely call this a series of freeway killers because we're going to eventually cover the other two in a series where we pair them together so we can talk about their similarities and differences and also to Randy Kraft because okay. it's fascinating to see how three different people can operate basically doing the same type of crime, but wildly different within the yeah. crimes but the, mm -hmm. but also the umbrella is very similar uh but we're really going to talk about how like but one key element is for you to find them so that you know somebody's out here killing young men and one has to wonder mm -hmm. if they can or cannot drive 55 I, it's hard <laughs> to, well, it depends on hmm say hagar what piece does he fit in the puzzle? We just don't know, do we? I don't understand why he can't drive 55. It's not that fast, um, but nonetheless. I hate driving 55. Yes, indeed. I guess he only goes 54. You asshole. You asshole. It's, it's faster than that. Uh oh. But interestingly, outside of the disposal methods, the freeway killer shared a few other curious characteristics. All three were gay. All three mutilated victims in horrific ways. Two out of the three likely used accomplices and all had unimaginable body counts. Yeah. Now, on that last point, the reason is easy to see. Since these serial killers were gay, their victim pool included gay men and straight men. And as we know, gay men in the 70s were right at the bottom with sex workers when it came to the less dead. This didn't really change until fairly recently, because even in the 80s and 90s, as it was with Jeffrey Dahmer, crimes involving even a whiff of homosexuality were often deemed too icky to investigate. Just recently, Bruce MacArthur mm -hmm. hid under the same exact series of like homo homophobic lenses that allowed him to operate in Toronto for 13 years without anybody knowing that these men were missing. Because again, it's this weird thing. It's like with little boys, especially with little boys back in the 70s. They're runaways. Oh, they just didn't come home. You know how kids are. They don't come back. Where they kind of said the same thing about these adult men with yeah. apartments and jobs. Like, you know how these gay <laughs> men are. Sometimes they'll get in a hang gliding accident because they go on a whim. Sometimes these gay men, they try to swim across the Atlantic sure. because they're so proud. They're so they're so full of pride. You're such an expert on, uh, on the gay male. Uh, yeah. Wow. yeah, it's almost like I'm deeply embedded within them. <laughs> yeah, I'm starting to think no one ever ran away. Ever. No. I think everyone was just kidnapped and killed. And it's really sad because I love the idea of a good runaway. Mm. You know? Yeah. Fightful. Think about that little mouse. I just think about that music yeah. video. Runaway train. train never never I actually think that's very offensive given the recent Amtrak accidents. Oh, God. You should have thought about that. That song is actually uh, not about runaway children. It's actually about lead singer Dave Perner's deep, dark Midwestern depression. Wow. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Whatever, Soul Psalms of Many. Yeah, they're, they're Twin Cities band. We talk about them on uh, the replacement series on No Dogs in Space that is coming out widely soon. All right. That's, just, that's the Underrated plug band, Soul Asylum. Underrated band. Wow. That's a hot take. <laughs> okay, we're going to Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not touching that at all. <laughs> Do you like Collective Soul, too? Hey, Whoa. Hey, Soul Asylum, listen to their first punk records. They were a band like 10 years before Runaway Train ever even came out. <laughs> Can we get back to the comforts of serial killers, please? <laughs> well... 
To my point, murders involving gay men, no matter how brutal, they were often chalked up to a lover spat gone wrong. Or at least that's the vibe I get from many of these investigations, at least until the body counts reach into the dozens. Before that, someone got jealous and killed someone else. Yeah, and it's like kind of what I was told uh, coming up in like show business and comedies. The idea is to be undeniable. Right. Like you have to build up a base. It's so undeniable that they have to pay attention, which kind of does feel like that with this idea that like once it gets to about 24 victims, the cops are like, I'm starting to see a bit of a pattern, here. a bit of a pattern. And you do wonder if the serial killer, I'm sure we'll get into more with Randy Kraft. I wonder if they were like, when are you all going to catch me? Because this has been going on for a long time. He was, and frankly, I'm tired. He was very happy to continue yeah. on. Speaking of the brutality, though. Even though the straight killers certainly had their moments, the gay serial killers active in the 70s, 80s, and 90s were much more prone to overkill murders. Harold Schechter wrote in his Serial Killer Encyclopedia that this rage comes from the prevailing homophobia of American society, which creates a self-hating, violent homophobia in the killers that externalizes itself in brutal torture and mutilation. In mm. effect, the more brutally they kill the victim, the more effectively they killed their own sexuality. And also you can it, it's a full symbolism of just like that moment that you had with somebody where it's like you got you had a maybe a slightly consensual moment. And then all of a sudden you have moved it, especially in Randy Kraft's case, because he's one of those. He's very dangerous. <laughs> Randy Kraft is one of those like, like true it. heavy hitters, super predator type guy that was a shapeshifter that could be who you wanted him to be. He looked like Will mm -hmm. Forte. Like, yeah, you know, it yeah. kind of has that kind of character actor face too, where like you flip the mustache upside down, all of a sudden he's a happy guy. You know what I mean? Like right. he does a couple of things. He messes <laughs> his hair around. He's a different guy. He's one of these things. He's a shapeshifter. So and you're going to give him the, oh, take your glasses off, put your hair down. All of a sudden, that's not an ugly librarian. That's a hot woman. Who's that? Who's that? <laughs> Whoa. But, you know, do you kill? So yes, you have these moments. And then as soon as you fucking do it, because the level of detail of mutilation that Randy Kraft will put these bodies through will really show it's like, this is... The rage here. Okay. Is, it's at an 11. I don't like mm -hmm. that whatsoever. But speaking to the point of investigation, homosexual serial killers were also among the most prolific. While gay men make up a small sliver of the serial killer population, just 5%, the kings of body counts outside of Gary Ridgway and Samuel Little are John Wayne Gacy, Dean Coral, and the killer we're covering today, Randy Kraft. In addition to being known as the freeway killer, Randy Kraft was also named the scorecard killer because he kept a running tally of his victims so he could remember each one using a thinly veiled mnemonic device for each murder. And also he was a, a prolific trophy collector. Uh, he would collect many things from these bodies. You will really mm. see he there. This is also one of these guys that uh, this much like BTK, much like John Wayne Gacy, in a way, people with especially high body counts where it kind of becomes a second job, right? Like it sounds it's, like it's, it's a, exhausting. It's a whole other life he leads on top of what we, we'd find out at the time, especially at the height of his murders, was like, you know, he was just working in IT. And mm -hmm. when did he get into cheese? When did he get into the big cheese game? <laughs> Do we know? I, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like this is one story that might have been made better by inherited wealth. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, some designations on the scorecard were simple. They would just use the initials of the victim or the location of the kill. Others, though, were more descriptive. He'd use names like Skates, Harry Carey, 
teen trucker, deodorant. One of them was marine drunk overnight shorts. Ooh, that's he, wait a second. Oh, he used, he maligned the great name Harry Carey, one of the greatest commentators <laughs> in the history of commentators. <laughs> Harry Carey. No, it's Harry Carey. No, it's not no, Harry. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a hot dog. No, no, not that guy. Not that guy. No. Okay. <laughs> Well, if the scorecard found on Randy's person at the time of his arrest is to be believed, and there's every reason to believe it, then Kraft is one of the most prolific known serial killers in American history with a body count of 67. And oh, my God. This is one of those, right, where we talk about how serial killers are the least trustable human beings in the face of the planet. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's obvious. Well, them and politicians, that, yeah. I think. Yeah, you're not supposed to believe any one of these people, right? right? But the thing about Randy Kraft is, number one, he maintained his innocence since the day he fucking, he's still alive. He really? still says he's, he's still absolutely alive. Yeah, he's sitting in, he's in San Quentin right now. So he doesn't say that he's guilty? No. Really? And the other thing is sometimes what you can tell about somebody, like LRH, right? It's all about the lies you tell yourself and like, what do you tell yourself in your most private moments where like LRH? I mean, L. Ron Hubbard was probably like, uh, yep, still can't see it. Looking down. Oh, his, <laughs> can't penis. See his penis. His penis. Ah. He doesn't need to see it because of, oh, he just has to wait to get it hard and then it comes over the horizon. <laughs> like, oh. oh, there he is. There's my boy. Um, but Randy Kraft, he kept this. This is a very private document. No one was supposed to know yeah. this document. And also it's interesting that he had to lie to himself by putting it in code, even though he was the only one who was going to see it, because that's how closely he guarded the secret and his own secret life. Randy oh Kraft is, a again, a perfect predator, an ultimate character changing by entity, a malevolent entity. I have a Marmaduke uh, cartoon in my wallet. But I guess he has a scorecard of everyone he killed. Weird. Different people. Different people. I just people. don't want to flip over the Marmaduke comic. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't, don't want to see what's, what's on the back, back of that. that. Yeah. Well, even more interesting is that like gay serial killers such as Dean Coral, possibly John Wayne Gacy, and one of the other two freeway killers, Randy Kraft most likely had an accomplice during some of his crimes. Besides just the different semen types found some crime scenes. Yeah, raspberry. Apricot. <laughs> no. <laughs> Inaccurate. Kraft is believed to have had an accomplice because many of his victims' bodies were thrown out of a moving vehicle. And it is presumably quite difficult to push a body out of the passenger seat while driving down the freeway. Right. But one thing we do know is that Randy Kraft, did, his car did turn into a fucking moving serial killer studio. So we no. don't know if he had like tools, like literally like yeah. a grabby hand or the, some shit. Yeah, he had like a big like <laughs> Pee Wee Herman, like Rube Goldberg machine. Yeah, he drops the marble at the very top of when he's just like, just sit there for a second and watch it roll <laughs> back. It's a basketball. Yeah. <laughs> you throwing me out of this car or something? Okay, it works. <laughs> oh, man. I just gotta get my precious machine to work. This sucks. <laughs> the disposal, of course, came after Kraft had castrated his victims, oh. chewed their nipples off, violated them with sticks or branches, cut them up, and sometimes burned their eyes out with his car cigarette lighter. Oh my All while God. they were still alive and most likely within the confines of his Ford Mustang or his Toyota Celica. Tiny cars, both. And I tell you what, I couldn't afford the package that gave it a center drain. I <laughs> wish I had a center drain. Honestly, I'm ruining yeah. all my carpet in here. It was just a different time when everyone just catered to smokers. And they're just like, we better yeah. make sure we have just the push in there. I, I burned my finger on it once when I was a child. 
Oh, yeah, of course. No. I didn't burn anyone's What's... eyes out with it, though. No. <laughs> I, mean, I haven't seen the back of that Marmaduke comic. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a, it's a, something from uh, it's from Desperate Housewives. It's a little uh, commercial for them. That's on the back of the Marmaduke. It's, it's from the paper. Okay. <laughs> Someone doth protest too much. And honestly, it is weird because is. when Kissel came in, I actually didn't know why he had ditched a shirt in the trash can. And I looked at her and said, Randy Kraft, number one on it. And I was like, you wore this for St. Patrick's Day? I just thought he would be a good topic. I'm trying to help. I'm on no sleep. My dog ate a ton of butter. Can I get a break? <laughs> As far as the other two freeway killers go, William Bonin and Patrick Kearney, we'll be covering them in a future series because each has a fascinating story all their own. Although we will be touching on them here and there, particularly in the case of magician Vernon Butts. Everybody wants to touch on Butts. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Makes sense. For Andy Kraft's story, though, we use the book Angel of Darkness by Dennis McDougal, which wrongly makes a connection between homosexuality and criminality instead of seeing that gay communities are just like any other community and that crime breeds when you're looked at as less than human. You have to just hear, because I then was, as you read this, you read this book, you read Angel of Darkness, and he's so horny. Yeah. He's so horny. Um, Are we talking like Mr. Hat from South Park? Seriously. is In this realm, there's a little selection because I'm going to read the two selections up top here as we, we go here. You can kind of see true crime. I love it because sometimes you really get into it. These guys are fucking such assholes. Long Beach has been a quiet haven for gay men and women as far back as World War II. Sailors. <laughs> interested in sex stalk the seedy dives along ocean boulevard and pine avenue see him getting hard looking for someone anyone male or female to spend the night with more often than not they found them after the war according to local lore many of these gay sailors blended into this 500,000 population bedroom community and they created their own subculture deep within the gay heart of Los Angeles. Wow, he must have been more aroused <laughs> than when Stephen King wrote that child sex scene. <laughs> Nevertheless, the facts in this book are solid. Yes. So, Angel of Darkness with a tack title is our source today. I don't I also don't semen, really know why semen dripping from the vessel. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing about true crime content As the sea foam crashed on the <laughs> waves again and again like the semen of Pounding. so many sailors. <laughs> Two of them like pink pythons writhing in subterranean <laughs> pleasure. God, I'm just so happy I'm totally straight. <laughs> straight as hell. Just thinking about wet butts <laughs> up and down in a hotel room. But he also, each one of these true crime stories, the thing about freeway killers, too, as we started, because we re, we did research William Bonin and Patrick Kearney as we were going to, each one has to describe what a freeway is. Oh, my. I, I know what a freeway is. The freeway is defined Southern California and the premium that its residents place on mobility for the price of an automobile <laughs> and a driver's license. Anybody could move from one neighborhood to the next in a matter of minutes. It's called a road. <laughs> Those who can't afford a car or a license yeah. can always stick out a thumb and hitchhike downtown to the mall or to the beach as long as they don't care who they're riding with. Strange <laughs> things happen on Southern California freeways. Things that happen elsewhere while people are usually stationary. People make love while they're on the freeway. What is happening? They cook, <laughs> brush their teeth, do and redo their mascara, dress and undress. Men shave. Women have babies. What? Incantations and aerobics, fisticuffs and fellatio, midwifery and mayhem. Oh, you confused a freeway <laughs> with a hospital. 
<laughs> oh, I love true crime. I love true crime. <laughs> now, Randy Kraft was born in March 1945 in Long Beach, California. Surprisingly, Randy did not, as far as we know, come from the sort of abusive household one might expect from a killer as brutal as Kraft. Instead, his childhood seemed fairly normal. But like Richard Ramirez and dozens of others, Kraft did suffer a severe head injury while his brain was still developing. At the age of two, Randy fell down a set of concrete stairs, bonked his head, and fell unconscious. Now, Damn. since he was so young, we can't say for certain if there was a personality change because toddlers can be kind of psychopathic anyway. But from yep. that moment on, Randy was unplugged from humanity. I mean, honestly, we need to take guns away from our seven-year-olds and our two-year-olds. <laughs> All right. Because a, a, a two-year-old with a gun is actually incredibly dangerous. Yeah, well, it's true <laughs> that you've made a solid point. Yep. Yeah. Randy did, however, manage to hide it quite well. Once he and his family moved to Midway City in Orange County, Kraft became an average student who played tennis and saxophone. He even had a small circle of friends, although his friend group, they were just fucking weird, man. Just They're assholes. They're straight up assholes. <laughs> yeah. Because well, you know what it is? To me, this is an example of Randy Kraft showing his, his way of becoming a character. For other people. Yeah. And that he kind of, and also his direct antisocial personality, like this idea that he would create a whole persona that everybody would hate, like somebody who promoted and defended Joe McCarthy. <laughs> well, that's the thing. In junior high, Randy and his friend Billy Manson, their dream was to grow up to be Republican senators. Ugh, and I mean, Randy Kraft <laughs> was not far off. That's a nightmare way to start. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah, to them, Richard Nixon was a liberal. Their real heroes were William F. Buckley and Joseph McCarthy, the yeah. conservative boogeymen of lore. Roy Cohn as well, perhaps. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Kraft and Manson defended McCarthy's communist witch hunts, read the National Review like a couple of weirdos, and attended <laughs> meetings of the Christian anti-communist crusade. It just seems like, you know, it seems like he's a rebellious person. So it's interesting that he would choose conformity at such a young age. Well, it's because your uh, whole I suppose generation... he's trying to, again, pretend like he's normal? Yeah, well, no, I think it's the opposite. I think all the kids are starting to find a little bit of the freedom of the time period opening up, and then it's a direct thing against the cool group of kids. Because in his school, the cool groups were the ones like listening to the first edges of rock and roll and sure. doing all of these things where he immediately positioned himself anti them. Hmm. Yeah, he's one of those true contrarians. That last organization, by the way, the Christian Anti-Communist Crusade, they produced a film called The Ultimate Weapon. That film was about communist brainwashing. And of course, as we know, that shit relates directly to MK Ultra, you're oh not God. out, Henry. You're not oh out. Let me help me. Oh, let me go. He's back in the let rabbit hole. Let me go. Um, so, is the acronym for that CAC? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's yeah. CAC. It's CAC. CAC. Oh, CAC. <laughs> Now, Kraft and Manson were your classic conservative trolls who wore neatly ironed white shirts and ties, had close-cropped haircuts, and urged a teacher to found a World Affairs Club just so they could pass resolutions condemning the United Nations and <laughs> pledging support to the John Birch Society. I love it. Moose? I like it in my hair, and I don't like a man's chest. Absolutely, completely tough, ragged and straight, Randy. Oh, yeah. They also once very oddly participated in an Arbor Day celebration by huh. taking a tree, 
planning it at night in the middle of the athletic field at their school while dressed and painted black. Then they peed on it and ran away. You know what? That is hilarious. Well, it was a protest because their principal. Because there's a tree on the football field. Now. This is the thing. Their principal was in, was one of these, what they said at the time, an ecological nut. And he said <laughs> on Arbor Day, every one of the students had to go plant a tree. That was the thing they had to do. And so it would be a little bit of a ribald prank. Uh-huh. They put it in the middle of the football field. <laughs> you know? It holds up to scrutiny. It's innocent enough to be seen as funny, yeah. but also, you know, there's a tree in the middle of the football field. Yeah, and think about that. It only led to 67 men with their penises cut off and shoved up their own rectums, and they were all tortured <laughs> to death as they screamed and they screamed and they screamed. I am just saying this one time, if it w- did happen to be an ant, put a little football helmet on it. He's having he's having too much fun. <laughs> this is what I'm saying, I didn't man. sleep. <laughs> you, ever have, you, know, you know what butter shits look like coming out of a chihuahua? I'm not out of oh. a chihuahua. Oh, God, it's been a nightmare. Live from your grave. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here with Henry Zabrowski. Yeah, it's me, man. Yeah, bro. Henry Zabrowski is smoking some of that sweet last podcast on the left, babe. Go out there and purchase yourself some. I hope you enjoy it. We have sativa, we have indica, and we have a hybrid. And I have to tell you, from my personal experience, they are wonderful. Super tasty, live resin. You really get the delicious weedy taste, which is what I like. And three different experiences. You go to your local vape store and get it. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. We absolutely love you. Can't wait to see you on the road and get that vape, put it in your brain and have a good time. And if you want us at your favorite weed store, give them a call and ask for them by name. Last podcast on the left. It's weed. Hail yourselves, everyone. Hail Satan. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it, but guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. It's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins as soon as I wake up and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors big and small some people are presidents some people are soldiers some people have to eat mayonnaise especially with hard-boiled eggs which is what I eat for lunch but I guess I should share that in therapy because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down and what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over I just continue to add the eggs. 
But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp! H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now, while Randy naturally supported the Vietnam War at first, he switched his support in college after a friend died in action. From there, his beliefs began to shift, and he eventually became just as left-wing as he'd been right-wing. This may have had something to do with the fact that Randy was also starting to come to grips with his sexuality, which is somewhat of a different tack from other gay serial killers like John Wayne Gacy. It really is interesting, because it is a moment of... Like, we'll, we'll get into it, but it, it is a weird converse moment of bravery, but I also believe it's a part of his antisocial personality. While Gacy always maintained that he was bisexual, Randy was out and proud, although it took a while for him to reach that point. During college, he was so gay that his stomach hurt, but he found outlets in the lifeguard shacks and restrooms along Seal Beach, just south of Los Angeles. Is that what's happening to Kissel? <laughs> Wait, what? Because he said he had a bellyache this morning. I do have a bellyache because I didn't sleep because my dog ate a tub of butter. Was it because you were just thinking about how you wish you could be with the man? Because you know you sure. can be. You're like, That's I not know. wrong. You can do I, that. Absolutely. Sure. You can be. You can make the family three for three, dude. We're about, we're behind you. <laughs> Come on, man. Randy Kraft Stan right here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he is still alive. Maybe I could just start a pen pal relationship with him. Meanwhile, Randy settled into college life. Residents of his college dorm, Green Hall, were known as the Green Weenies. <laughs> and by Randy's senior year, he'd become dorm president, the so-called head Green Weenie. Oh. People liked him, but they did say he happened to focus on beer a little bit more than his studies. Good for him. Mm. It's college. But as one former student put it, Randy, with his tuft of chin hair, always seemed to have an evil glint in his eye. Yeah. He had a strange sense of humor, making snide comments that were funny, but not ha-ha funny. Instead, they were odd and unsettling. You ever think what it would be like if I cut your eyelids off? What was that? <laughs> I'm just saying, it wouldn't be kind of interesting if you were like a living skull? Oh, man, this is... Do any gas pumps work in this country? That's funny. Because <laughs> I, I noticed when yeah. I went to the gas tank the other day, I was like, do any gas, gas pumps, work? pumps work in <laughs> right. this country? There you go. Additionally, one of his roommates, a guy named Mac, said that one night during one of those soul-searching sessions we have with friends in college, 
Randy turned to him and cryptically said, quote, You know, there's a part of me you will never know. Uh, what part is that? My asshole. Oh, Come I on. get it. All Come right. On. Thank you. No, no. He was, um, he was talking about thinking about killing. I see. Yeah. And by the end of college, Randy had switched from being a Joseph McCarthy apologist to a Robert Kennedy campaigner. But he still joined the Air Force in June of 1968 and was given the job of painting protective coating on test planes. It's interesting because, you know, like this is another serial killer with political aspirations, which I find mm-hmm. fascinating. Him and Bundy. Now, while there were plenty of kids dodging sniper bullets in the jungles of Vietnam who would love to have scored such a boring job during the war, Kraft felt like the job was beneath his station. Perhaps his unhappiness with his assignment was part of the reason why Randy came out to his superiors in the Air Force and was given a general discharge. After that, he moved in with his parents and came out to them as well. Because you could see right in a way, because this was not a lot of people did this. Right. This is 1968. Yeah. yeah, Not a lot of people did this. So there is a way in my mind that he did this literally to shake shit up as well. Like he did it to get a rise out of people, I think, in a a way. Normally I wouldn't say this, but for what he went on to do, I would say like I I feel like he everything in his head is a constructed game a little bit. And then when he came out to them, like, yes, I think he got off that detail because he fucking hated it because he basically became a painter. He was like a house painter and he didn't want to do that. And then he also like understood like, oh, I'm getting feed. Mm -hmm. I'm getting that psychopath feed. Right. Like I'm getting a thing that I need where like I get a bunch of people all in a big kerfuffle because the thing about it is that it really fucks with your like entire life. Getting a general discharge like it's, it fucks your whole career up. Like it's right. really hard to get a job because it's just above dishonorable discharge. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you have any discharge at all, go to the doctor. <laughs> it's a good PSA. It's a real it's good really PSA. No problem. It's really good. <laughs> When he came out to his parents, his father reportedly flew into a rage, but his mother was accepting, if disappointed. And Randy continued living at home while immersing himself fully in the local gay scene. Kraft got a job as a bartender at a gay bar called the Bowie Shed and began some good names, some good bartenders. My goodness, yeah. Yeah, he began spending his time at other gay bars like Broom Hilda's, cool, and a place with perhaps the most non-gay name for a gay bar that is still obviously a gay bar. Stables. I mean, huh. you know. I never thought about it. There was a bar in Brooklyn called Brooklyn Stable. Yeah. Uh, but that was horse-themed. Yeah, it was horse-themed. <laughs> yeah, and I do feel like it's still it horse-themed, but it's like man-horse-themed. Right, okay. <laughs> now, it's unknown what exactly it was that pushed Randy into the world of serial killing. There's always a trigger. Possibly, it could have been his coming out, because oftentimes, serial killers begin killing because they aren't able to handle setbacks or trauma like the rest of us do. I don't necessarily think that he came out specifically to make people upset. I think coming out for him was actually a very traumatic experience. I think he tried to force it. Sure. He knew what was going to happen, and he knew exactly how everyone was going to react. But when they didn't act how he wanted them to react, he now has an excuse. Yeah. He has an anger spot. 
Basically. Sure. Well, it's yeah, not you, easy to do. You create a trigger point. No, it's not. You do yeah. something. Like, now it's like, yeah, now I've created what we've talked about for years covering serial killers, the little validations that bring you to the point where you have convinced yourself that killing is now compulsory. Like now on, well, now you, the, all of these factors have driven me to kill. Yeah. And also uh, there's so much shame involved. I remember when my older brother came out, he was like so nervous and stuff. And then I was on the steps and I heard it all. And then, uh, you know, it's not easy to do. Oh, yeah, buddy. This isn't a so normal coming is- out. Uh, story. Very this, isn't the, this isn't the story of like, you know, right. John Waters or, or like, you know, Bobby Bonilla. Bobby the, the, Bonilla. I don't know. If, I shouldn't even. I don't know. Wow. I don't know. Who knows? But I mean, like this is a this is the story of Randy Kraft. Right. So it, mm. it colors the coming up yeah. story a little different. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a different story. And see, while Randy seemed to be fairly mild mannered most of the time, many of the people who had regular social contact with him said that he could have a terrifying temper when he didn't get his way. And from what other serial killers have said, when those negative emotions are combined with a head full of bad wiring, they start having fantasies about releasing those emotions in absolutely horrific ways. So just like other serial killers set up situations in which they feel justified to kill, I think Randy Kraft may have done just that with coming out. Yeah. Well, do you think there's something where he thought there was so much shame in being gay that he's like, it's just a lateral move to start killing? No, he loved being gay. That was like uh, he really cherished that part of his personality. I think it's just more the idea of setting up a circumstance, which is being like the whole world's against me. It's me versus everybody else. And now I that means in in war, all bets are off. There are no rules. I can do whatever I want. Kind of panzer Mm -hmm. a little bit. And uh, because the thing about Randy Kraft, too, is that because he is one of those types of killers where he's really tight lipped. We don't know a lot about his inner life. And the fact yeah. that he said that openly to somebody like, you know, there's some parts of me you'll never know mm. shows that I feel like this fantasizing about killing people has been around since his childhood and that it Probably. has been a thing that he has thought about for a long time. Because the one thing about, you know, not to be anything, not to get too political, but stuff like, you know, with the John Birch Society, all these type of people, the um, they're desperate for the con- absolute control of everybody else, right? Like they want a fascist control over your body and your mind. Like, and there's something about that that lends towards the serial killer mindset. Order. Yeah, that he wants, he just wants control over everybody. Mm-hmm. So pretty soon after Randy came out, he began inching his way towards serial killing with the rape of a 13-year-old boy named Joey Francher soon after he moved into his own place. Francher had run away from home in March of 1970 and was soon approached by the 25-year-old Randy Kraft on the boardwalk at Huntington Beach. Randy lured Francher back to his apartment by telling the teenager that there was a woman waiting who was willing to have sex with just about anybody. Oh, God. So what, Francher, is this the movie young, yeah. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is horrible. They met on a boardwalk and then... She's been like 13 years old. I know a woman who'll fuck you right Jeez. now. Jeez. All, All right. right. So Francher, young and naive, took a chance and followed Randy back. Aww. After smoking a little weed and giving Francher some pills, Randy pulled out his collection of black and white gay pornography, which featured several pictures of Randy participating in the actions himself. Well, the way he talked about it, too, is that it really was like it's this it's a slideshow that you don't want to see because you didn't know you were about to see it. Like if you wanted to see it, sure. But literally, he's like, take a look at this. And it was like, you know, a picture of gay pornography. And he's like, I'll take a look at this one. And it was like another one you can kind of see. It was like, is that that guy right there? And then all of a sudden, there's like another picture of like a pile of writhing bodies. And then that guy like smiling and waving at the camera, just being like, (laughs) it's like, See who that guest star is. You oh know what I mean? Like, and now you're like, mm-hmm. oh, now I'm starting to see all of this is getting a bit complicated. It's like the final me. photo in The Shining. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When his Francher began to pass out, Randy repeatedly raped him and threatened to kill him if he moved. 
He then gave him even more pills, suddenly began slapping him for seemingly no reason, then inexplicably left Francher in his apartment to go to work. It's a, it's a distancing effect. I think it's like, because yeah. he literally bailed. Like, he, he sexually assaulted him and then said, like, all right, time to go to work. And then he left, like, didn't tie him up, didn't do anything to, like, cover up the crime, didn't do it. Because I feel like it's almost this thing of, like, he just kind of finally let himself do whatever it is that he wanted to do. And he was almost yeah. in shock about it himself. Yeah. Like, oh, wow, yeah. I did all this shit. And then he bugged. Yeah. Eventually, Francher recovered, got dressed, and stumbled to a neighborhood bar where an ambulance was called. When his parents showed up, they were most upset that he wasn't wearing his new shoes, which oh might give you a hint as to why he ran away in the first place. Yeah. Jesus, it sounds like his parents not to... I mean, they sound like Butters' parents, again, from South <laughs> Oh, my God. Butters would have been murdered by Randy Kraft like 25 times. Seriously. <laughs> he has become my favorite character. Yes. I love Butters. Oh, he's easily my favorite character. Yeah. Butters, is yeah. by fi Butters is by far the best character on the show. <laughs> the theme of the day is Butter. Fantastic. <laughs> now, the cops went and checked out Randy's place and found that he was in possession of two peanut butter jars full of pills... One was filled with Benny's and the other was filled with Secanol. He had uppers and downers. Wow. You know how these gay men are. They love their sleepy sandwiches. They just love to have a nice nap witch and they go right to sleep. So we're not going to investigate it all then? Or? Absolutely not. Okay, I don't want to become gay. <laughs> all right, another horrible job done. Great work. Yeah, I mean, he's right because this was one of those gay things. And presumably because Francher's parents just wanted to pretend like nothing ever happened, no action whatsoever was taken. So yeah, these Francher cops are just making up gay stereotypes as they go. Like, ah, we all know gays. Uh, they keep the uh, the pills are in the peanut butter jar. We all, that's that's common <laughs> knowledge. It's like, I don't know what that is. I don't think that is true. And it was not just in a jar. It was in the peanut butter. Like, he put Benzedrine in peanut butter. So it's this idea that like this is just what these guys do. Oh which is the, it's a part of the homophobia thing, which we covered a little bit when we talked about Jeffrey Dahmer. We, right. And it comes up again and again and again and again, which is this idea that they live this like gay men and women live this mysterious life of crime. That's mm -hmm. all they do. That's their whole life. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, which meanwhile, like most of the time, Gay people are super boring and don't do anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just normal just ass just people just trubbing, chubbing around, fucking Marcus, wearing pants. And Marcus did a great job yeah. in the book. The last book on the left. I remember. Uh, in the Dahmer, the Dahmer chapter uh, hit that very well. You did a great job. Thank you very much. Gatesy chapter as well, because the principles apply to both of them. Um, but that's the thing is that uh, what it comes from is that it comes from this idea of dehumanizing the gay population and frankly, looking at them as animals. And it's like, oh, of course, those animals they can't do control that to each themselves. Other. They can't yeah, control yeah. themselves. Just let, like let them do whatever they want. Who cares? The more of them they kill, the less of them there are on the street. So just let them go. And so, after Randy saw how easy it was to get away with violent crime just so long as you made the police feel uncomfortable, Randy moved on from assault and rape to straight-up murder. In September of 1971, a bartender at Randy's regular bar Stables, named Wayne Duquette, went missing from his apartment in Long Beach. And not long after, his car was found parked near a beach area where he'd last been seen. It wasn't until weeks later that his body was found at the bottom of a ravine off the Ortega Highway, so bloated and putrefied that they were not able to determine an exact cause of death. Hey, Rand, hey, Dang. hey, Joey, uh, do you think maybe a big bird dropped him from the sky? 
I don't, you know, I think maybe we should start investigating these as serial killings. Uh, or just the beginnings of one, maybe. Listen, okay, you're new here, right? Yeah, yeah. Big birds. And I'm not talking about the big bird. He's the only innocent big bird. Okay. But big birds quite often murder gay men and so we're knocking not, them across the room. not going to do anything to stop it. Absolutely not. I don't want to be gay. All right. <laughs> Wayne Duquette's blood alcohol level was found to be 0.36, just below the point where a person succumbs to acute alcohol poisoning. Man, he was a third booze. (laughs) (laughs) And here's where things get somewhat mysterious with the Randy Kraft murders. Quite a few of his victims were found with insanely high BAC levels. But since Randy Kraft never came clean about his methods, we don't know how he convinced these men to drink that much or if he forced them into doing so. This comes up often oh. in, in his crimes. Did he inject them with it like he's a member of Motley Crew? I mean, what happened here? No idea. What we can extrapolate from this is that Randy Kraft did not want his victims to fight back. Considering the amount of mutilation that Randy would eventually subject his victims to, it's likely that he wanted them simply in a state of existence dehumanizing them to the point where they were nothing more than playthings. I read he wanted them alive, though, not like Dahmer. Yes. Like, did he want he them alive? Him al- he wanted okay. them alive. He, ab- yeah. he absolutely wanted them alive. He wanted them alive <sighs> while he was torturing them and cutting them up. And he he wanted them to scream and wiggle, but he did not want any sort of pushback at all. Ugh, he didn't want to okay. work for it. Knowing what we know about serial killers, though, it's possible that this murder was some sort of accident or simply an impulsive act. Maybe Wayne was hanging out with Randy and had too much to drink and seeing Wayne in such a vulnerable position might have caused Randy to finally go through with his murderous fantasies. John Wayne Gacy did it. Jeffrey Dahmer did it. Like, you see this quite often, where the first murderer, well, they say accident. They say mm-hmm. accident. Oh, there's no way I could ever could have controlled myself from cutting that man to pieces. Where it's like, it seems like it's a big process. Well, like, I guess there's a lot of steps in which you could, where it's like, you could stop yourself. Where, like, yeah. he just kind of created, it's this opportunity came. And maybe it's also what we also learned, too. Randy Kraft's a process killer, as we can now see, yeah. right? Like, because he liked the, the going through this entire r- rigmarole. Like, he, he had his yeah. the, his time he liked to spend with him. But I also... You're, you're going to want to go with rigmarole on that, huh? I don't. <laughs> His set, yeah. like he goes his, through his set, his material. No, we can like, stick with yeah. rigmarole. Yeah, maybe you could go with the hullabaloo, all of the hullabaloo, uh, hullabaloo. Yeah. all this <laughs> malarkey, all of this sure. malarkey he goes through. It. Yeah, and uh, he, but you know, maybe it also comes down to the thing is, is that when you keep them alive, they talk. Oh. Mm-hmm. What's the uh, so this escalation happened over three years between the thirteen-year-old and then the murder. Um, uh, we don't even know. No, we don't honestly, really know. It's, a, okay. like, it's actually a, about a year. Okay. Yeah, it's a little. It's a little more than a year, but not too long. Um, but and that's the thing is that we're pretty sure that Wayne Duquette is the first actual victim because Wayne Duquette, his designation was the first one on the scorecard. Randy used the word stable because that was the name of the bar where Wayne Duquette worked. And that's how they were able to figure out like so many different victims with Randy Kraft is because the mnemonic devices that he used were very thinly veiled. Like even people that were investigating it could figure out like, oh, Wayne Duquette worked at Stable. We found Wayne Duquette's body. He probably killed Wayne Duquette. He's missing two key words. Anything but. Um, because <laughs> that would really describe this yeah. man at this point. Yes. Anything but Stable. Now, as we said, Randy himself was actually a bartender in the scene. He worked nights at the buoy shed. But eventually, he cleaned up his act by studying computers at Long Beach State University. 
After that, he got a job at Aztec Aircraft, where he ran computer payroll, beginning a long and boring career in data processing. If you're working at the office right now, <laughs> right, if you're at the office, I want you to shut off the podcast. I want you to go down to processing, right? Go to see. Is this HR? I'm just saying, you know who's killing people, right? Oh. <laughs> this is the time. Jacques, you want to go in there? You want to fucking point him out? Just see, watch him squirm. See what he mm. does. Office jobs are brutal. You know what? The, you know who it is. Sure. <laughs> At Long Beach University, however, Randy met his first long-term boyfriend, Jeff Graves. They soon moved in together and participated in the freewheeling 70s gay swinger scene, picking up men at an historic Long Beach gay bar called Club Ripples. Ooh. I love that bar name. It's amazing. Club and Ripples this, is fantastic. It does really sound fun, but you know, like it kind of, their lifestyle does sound fun. It sounds very busy. It sounds very tiring. Yeah. I can't, like, when I get older, though, I'm going to be like, I need my ripple. Can I have a little taste of my ripple, please? Just give him some tea. You can't taste anymore. He lost I'll his tongue my, 10 years ago. I want my ripple. Um, but Club Ripples is another place, too, where, you know, like the author of Angel of Darkness was, you know, again, this seedy underbelly of cum and fuck. And you're like, <laughs> meanwhile, like the head of, I was reading another thing about Ripples where the guy's like, yeah, yeah, it was a gay bar, but, you know, people went there and, uh, you know, a lot of times they just drank and sat there and they'll meet somebody, sure, they'll hook up, or a lot of times they'll meet somebody to, like, date or whatever. Sure. It's a it's a bar. It's a bar, yeah. Like, it's not um, a dangerous, dark fuck labyrinth. Right. It's a place, it's got stools. Sure. There's a pinball machine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now, the Long Beach Police Department didn't just refuse to investigate murders in the gay population. Rather, they denied the population even existed. And yes. as late as 1981, their official stance was that there were no gay people in Long Beach at all. There, this, of course, was contradicted by such bars and clubs in the area as Impact, Forced Heat, and the mine shaft. If there is a mine shaft, it's kind of like how what you know about like the way they poll politics stuff like that, where it's like if it's twenty percent, it probably means it's bigger. You know what I mean? Like if it has sure. a certain amount, where it's like if you have a bar called the mine shaft yeah. in your town, there is at least a twenty percent gay population. Well, what if there's actually yeah. if there's a mine around? You know, <laughs> and even but, then, you don't want to think about the mine when you're going to the bar. Yeah. You want to call it like Johnny's right. or, or old pizza. Kate's. You know what I mean? Like you wanted something <laughs> something else. Yeah. Not where you just came from. Right. How annoying it would be the mime shaft. Oh. Bunch of, bunch of mimes in there. Oh. oh. Honestly, I love mimes. I love mimes. I love clowns. All of it. What? Fascinating. It's actually more yeah. offensive than Kissel's fucking stance about how much he loves Randy Kraft. I don't love Randy Kraft. I'm standing by it. I'll stand no by my love that. of clowns to the day I fucking die. I have a clown room in our home. I do like clowns. The mime, <laughs> you know, it's difficult what they do. So I do respect the mime. It's not mm -hmm. fucking difficult. It is difficult. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, the balloon isn't actually heavy. Yeah, but you just do it with your arms. It'd be different. I would love to see you try to be a mime for a day. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, this is a podcast, buddy. No, it's a podcast. It's an audio medium. You just failed miserably <laughs> at being a mime because this is a podcast. I did because you couldn't hear me. That's how you know I succeeded. Okay. You have to lift there an was, actual heavy balloon. There was some mimery in there. Now, Randy's first long-term love affair wasn't a calm one, partly because he and Jeff were supplementing their open relationship with massive amounts of booze, weed, bennies, and amyl nitrate. Cool. Therefore, Randy and Jeff fought a lot, and when they'd fight, Randy would get in his car and cover miles upon miles of highway 
all around Southern California. Uh-oh. Yeah, man. And it's it, some uh, ideas, I guess. We were joking about this. Natalie and I were talking about like the cannibal cop, you know, I mean, because it all came from the fact uh, that it's all about like if your boyfriend or your girlfriend or husband or wife like spends too much time like, up on the computer late at night. Right. Right. While you go to bed. They're the cannibal cop. Like now we've been like, calling each other on? the cannibal cop if she goes to bed before me or if I go to bed before her and I come down to see her on the laptop and you're like, you being fucking cannibal cop right now? Right. Um, there's the thing about like when you're when you get into a fight and your guy goes like, I'm going out. And then he's gone yeah. for like uh, two days. Uh, it's not good, man. <laughs> no, it's not. It's like good. not good. It's like, uh, what are you doing out there? Especially because your bed's here. Your stuff's here. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Oil price, gas prices. Oh, and these the, none of the pumps Ugh, work. Ukraine. Mm hmm. Not coincidentally, Randy's nighttime drives, these happened about the same time that corpses began popping up off certain freeways. Uh-oh. One of those was a 20-year-old named Edward Daniel Moore, unimaginatively titled EDM on Randy's scorecard. Electronic dance music. On Christmas Eve, 1972, Randy Kraft picked up Moore somewhere, took him elsewhere, and beat him in the face with a metal pipe. Ligature marks around Moore's ankles and wrists imply that he'd been tied up, and as a very odd, perhaps practical M.O., Kraft shoved a sock up his rectum. Apparently, this was a body transport trick used in the military to keep the body from purging itself of fluids during transport, which implies that Randy, in some cases, might have taken his victims to actual locations to torture them in increasingly violent ways. He worked within his car up to a point. And then we are talking about when you really set up this pattern, we'll go as we describe more that it really does seem like he is a one thing about Randy Kraft as well is that he is highly organized. He's one of those killers where he's a planner. He plans really uh, explicitly. And so the idea that like maybe that's what it is, is that when you're moving these back and forth, you don't want to. I mean, this is disgusting, but you don't want to spill and you don't want him like you want. And you got to put him out someplace where no one will see you. All right. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is I don't think that he did all of his crimes within his car because there's a lot of blood involved in these crimes. And if he would have done it inside his car, his car would have been a traveling fucking slaughterhouse. Yeah. Like it just it would everything would have been soaked to the fucking bone with blood yeah. at all times. And he, it's not like no one ever got in his fucking Mustang. They did. Yeah. Of course, he had a long term boyfriend who had no idea what was going on. So he had to have had some location somewhere. Where he was taking Carl's Jr. It a was friendly a- <laughs> Carl's Jr. You'd actually really be surprised what you can do there. Yeah. And of course, the Chevy mm-hmm. Slaughterhouse. It was discontinued. I, uh, was, really I feel like it was, was like, Why would they name the car Slaughterhouse? Yeah, That's with a- all the tarp. <laughs> yeah, pre- was- pre-installed. <laughs> Come on. I mean, I know it's the 80s, but I guess the 70s. Is it the 70s? It's the 70s. The 70s. 70s. Even weirder. Well, it goes into the 80s, though. Well, as far as disposal went, Moore's body had been dumped from a moving car and was spotted by a motorist at 1.45 a.m. on the westbound off-ramp of the 405 and 605 freeways, about a day after he was last seen alive. Now, as I said earlier, Randy Kraft was not the only person killing dudes and dumping them off freeways in Southern California. He's simply the most well-known. As such, by the end of 1972, 11 bodies had been found, only two of which had belonged to Randy Kraft. What is going on? This is the only really this is the only place where I really say like the the cops in this crux had a very difficult time because yeah. what about sheer, just patrolling? It's not, go the to, sheer what? amount yeah. of bodies that popped up in a very short amount of time. It was like a blitzkrieg. Like it happened Weird. really fucking fast. The, the these crimes 
escalated. Was there a lot of press? Was this like, did did he, obviously Randy Kraft hasn't admitted to any of this stuff, which is so surprising, but like, was the media covering this stuff? Was there like a, did he follow his crimes at all? Like a little bit or some of them were, were covered later on. Um, but at this point, nah. And, and there's also like, there's also to remember at this point, like in the 1970s, like the murder rate, we really today, like when people talk about how America is going to the dogs and how crime is on the rise and everything's going to shit. We cannot imagine the murder rate of the seventies in America. We can't yeah. fucking imagine it. But even though the bodies were piling up, cops still wanted to press the jealous homosexual lover angle whenever they could. And in the case of Edward Moore, they tried pinning the murder on his on-again, off-again boyfriend, Charles Vine, nicknamed The Major. Wait until you meet The Minor. It's oh. my son. <laughs> oh! Okay. And he's lovely. Honestly, he's doing wonderful in school. Very nice. Remember that's your major dad? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. is it? Yeah. Kind of like that, isn't it? Yeah, this is mm. all like that. <laughs> Man, a controversial <laughs> episode of Major Dad. Very controversial. <laughs> yes. In fact, the Orange County DA believed that a good chunk of the 11 victims had been killed in one-night stands that had gotten out of hand. Although, what? I have no idea where this assumption came from. I don't know. It's just this idea that every single time a gay man has sex, they have to do blood play and choke and, <sighs> and, and beat the shit out of each other. And that's only one out of five times. I mean, <laughs> Jesus. Either way, you don't end up on the side of the freaking highway no. as a corpse. No, most of the time you end up at the jack-in-the-box. Sure, having a good time. <laughs> Nevertheless, more bodies kept showing up. By February, a John Doe was found naked, lying face up in a ditch on the Terminal Island Freeway, with his arms outstretched and a brown sock shoved up his rectum. On Easter Sunday of that same year, another John Doe was found after the body had been thrown from a moving vehicle. This one was missing its genitals entirely, because they'd been cut off minutes before the victim died. Oh my Eventually, god. He was identified in 1995 as Kevin Bailey. Remember this, just same thing. Wow. Yeah, same thing we just now are seeing with Dean Quarrel. They only are just starting to identify some of these bodies too. Yeah. Like they, they really still. It's it's really that's how many he killed. Just that they have to mm-hmm. keep like digging it up and figuring out like more and more of the shit. And this is this murder is really where you start to see his specific mo come Mm -hmm. through don't really want to ask i guess i'm just a little curious uh what did he do with the cock and balls don't know do we have any idea idea. did he keep them some of them we know some of them we know what he did Did with it is he a cannibal uh no no i don't know don't know yeah gosh it's also possible at this time that randy was experimenting with full dismemberment although the victim found soon after kevin bailey might have been a victim of one of the other two freeway killers operating at the same time and place as craft all you need is be able to afford a car or a driver's license and you can go anywhere in a matter of minutes yeah i'm not sure if they were too worried about the license but this victim named john doe 52 oh my god yeah john doe 52 52 52 i think more than fucking presidents we've had (laughs) yes (laughs) yes if i'm i mean i i'm just guessing i'm speculating completely i would imagine he's john doe 52 because he was probably the 52nd john doe found in that area or in that city that year i would imagine god 
This guy was dismembered, decapitated, and spread across multiple locations. His head was found in a brown paper bag behind a supermarket. His arm, torso, and right leg were found in trash bags, roadside, and San Pedro. And the left leg was found behind the Bowie's Shed Bar where Kraft used to work. Oh. It's kind of like he's like, all right, I guess this can go here. Yeah, it's a little close to home, but... Additionally, there were ligature marks around his ankles. His genitals had been removed. His eyelids had been cut off. And his hands were actually never found. Oh, my God. But using context clues, it's likely that this victim was the one named Hoff Off Head on Randy's scorecard. It's always when they do it when it's supposed to be kind of funny to them. That it always yeah. really makes my stomach turn. Yeah, where it's like this like little inside joke to himself. He and yeah. BTK, man, I think that they both probably thought they were quite humorous. Yeah, they thought mm-hmm. that. Well, he just thought he was a genius. He's that type oh. of person, too, where he just thinks that he's the ultimate villain. And, right. And, but even though he won't admit it, BTK wanted to see everybody writhe when he was giving his confessions. Like right. he's, the, he's the other type. That's what makes him extra fucking awful is because mm-hmm. BTK continued the trauma in jail. You wonder for the victim's families if they would like for him to confess uh i don't know what's better or worse i don't know it's a horrible situation all around randy's life meanwhile it was in an upswing he's doing pretty good <laughs> all right. All right. Well, I also remember when I was listening to the, I was listening to some documentary on this, and this is such like a true crime spouse moment, where like I was making dinner, and Natalie walks into the kitchen, and it was just like, and he was found bound, his eyelids removed, his genitals <laughs> removed, and she's like, having fun watching the cooking channel, huh? <laughs> Weird. Well, Guy Fieri, that's a that's a unique uh, approach. Live from your grave. A roast as dark as the night, perfect for fueling the cryptid research and mad ravings required for your podcasting. Don't mind the red eyes, he's just trying to warn you of the bridge. The bridge. Finally, from the caffeine-addled brains of spring Jack Coffee and last podcast on the left, we bring you Mothman's Red Eye Blend. Yes, delicious Panama beans. Go to lastpodcastmerch.com to order yours today. <laughs> My boy, Texas Pete is a sauce that allows you to sauce like you mean it. It's what people gather around, it's generosity in its simplest form, and it's a swagger people have who know what's good. Each Texas Pete hot sauce is packed with bold, balanced flavor. This signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. It's been at the center of dinner table since 1929 and is still heating things up today. You're definitely going to want to try every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. The hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and not for the faint of heart. Sabor! By Texas Pete adds authentic Mexican flavor, and their dust-dry seasoning matches the flavor of the original hot sauce and a flavorful dry rub. Tell you what, the other day I was having myself a good old refried bean burrito, and I wanted a little bit of kick to my morning, so I got myself some chop. Texas Pete sriracha sauce, and I smothered those refried beans and that cheese and them eggs and a whole bunch of chop. And it started off my day correct. Texas Pete, sauce like you mean it. Visit TexasPete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use the promo code PODCAST24 for 20% off at TexasPete.com.
This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Yeah, we do. Do you love saving money? Oh my God, you bet. Then Philo may be your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. That's amazing. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles. It's just a better way to watch TV. Get with it, people. Philo has an unlimited DVR for one year. Save all your favorite shows so you can watch on your own schedule. Philo allows for multiple profiles and multiple streams, meaning that your children or significant other can't ruin your queue. Never miss a minute of shows like, oh, RuPaul's Drag Race. You're going to watch it. You're going to love it. You're going to get involved with it. And it's an extravaganza. You're going to love it. With Philo, you can start watching in seconds for less money and less hassle. Try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash left. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash L-E-F-T to get 50% off your first month. By 1972, Randy Kraft had found a candidate to believe in with George McGovern and Kraft <laughs> campaigned tirelessly. I wow. got some bad news for you. <laughs> Maybe not the best choice for Veep. Kraft also showed up to his high school reunion not as a John Bircher, but as an openly gay liberal data processor who believed weed should be legal. It's an incredible character. It's like it really mm-hmm. is. It's a character. It's a character, right. At the same time, though, Randy's crimes were continuing. The next victim, Ronnie Weeby, met the same fate as the ones before, except he was covered in bite marks. Weeby, however, contradicted the police theory that there were packs of rabidly jealous homosexuals rampaging across Southern California. <laughs> that would be, that'd be a, I think a lot more other things would get disrupted if there were just packs of jealous homosexuals everywhere. <laughs> See, Weeby, who was last seen at the Sportsman Bar in Los Alamitos at 2 a.m. in late July, he was straight. That meant that any young man might become a victim. And it was also becoming obvious that the same guy was doing it because Weeby's body was found in almost the exact same spot as Randy Kraft's second victim. From there, Kraft began experimenting even further, shaving the heads of victims for reasons unknown or shoving pieces of wood 
thick and thin into the penises and rectums before he committed the act of murder. God, which dang. would require you to basically get, he that's why he needed to get you as fucked up as possible right so that mm-hmm. you would not like physically move against it like you literally he gets you to the point where you're so pilled up and drugged up very similar to Dahmer Nilsson where mm. like so then you become a pliable mannequin mm-hmm. but perhaps surprisingly Randy did not only prey on the weak and marginalized specifically Randy seemed to enjoy specializing in hitchhiking marines this is the shit that is shows like not to be anything. This is not like I don't know how to, I don't know how to frame this, but it really shows like what he wanted was a challenge in many ways. Where like but then he, he also wanted them all subdued. It was about subduing a killing machine, right? Because at the time period coming out of Vietnam, these are a lot of guys that have seen action. These are people that have have killed people that are now like that then become your victim and he gets really obsessed with young virile five foot nine to five foot eleven blonde marines but i think what it is is that what randy craft is doing here is um to put it in video game terms like he's using a cheat code like he is killing he is killing marines like he is killing these like virile mean motherfuckers but he's doing it by taking them down to a level where they can't fight back where they're basically just flesh bags so he's not actually doing anything he's just he's just using the big fucking sword he's using horfrost stomp doesn't uh, the movie rambo start with him hitchhiking yes that's mm-hmm. a good thing. Uh, good thing he didn't uh, get picked up by Randy Kraft. With Randy Kraft and versus Rambo. Randy Kraft versus that's Rambo. Fucking, that's <laughs> awesome. Rambo's that's gonna an win awesome that. idea. I'm going to write that fucking movie, dude. <laughs> well, about an hour away from Long Beach is Camp Pendleton. And every weekend, Marines training are stationed at the base spread out into the surrounding communities. And many of them hitchhiked to get to where they wanted to go. And when Randy and Jeff fought, Randy would sometimes temporarily move in with friends and sometimes disappear for days after mumbling something about going down to, quote unquote, look for Marines. I gotta go look for Marines. You can tell by their hats. What's that? I'm looking for Marines. There's one. There's one. (laughs) So I read this very interesting essay about a guy that realized decades after this that he basically he was a young Marine in Southern California. And he heard this, like this idea of like, like people were talking about afterwards, like this is about 15 years ago when he wrote this essay where he was looking into this guy that someone brought up about a serial killer that killed Marines in SoCal from in this time period. And he was like, I was a Marine in SoCal during that time period. Uh Is it that guy? There's no way it's that one guy. This is not a good aha moment. No, exactly. It's an aha moment. (laughs) Because he realized that uh, he had this moment with a man that uh, he'd never experienced before. Again, this author says, he's like, I'm straight as fucking hell. Right. I'm super like, I like boobs. I like big, you know, and you're like, okay, buddy. Okay. All right. Got Um, it. And he said he was on the beach and then this young yuppie looking guy rolls up to him and he starts talking and they, they, they hit it off. And then he's like, all of a sudden him and this guy, they're talking, having a great time. Um, and he says, hours go past. And he's like, again, I don't talk to chicks this long. (laughs) Um, and then he's talking to this guy and then eventually this, this man, 
turns out to be Randy Kraft because oh. he sees it. But he obviously saw the picture later on. You knew it was God. Randy Kraft. Randy Kraft's like, let's go up to my motel. Come on. Let's go. I got good beers, which at the time was like an enticing thing to him. <laughs> no, Kissel. <laughs> what? No. What? No, because at the time, Marines could only afford shit beer at like mm-hmm. shitty little saloons. So he's like, yeah, I'll have some good ass beer. Me and my new bro. We're right. going to go have friends. We're going to have some friendly Dude time. Dudes, guys, yeah. just being dudes up in his hotel room alone with each other. And so they went up there and he br- brings out, he goes under his little refrigerator and he says that he said that he handed him, uh, this was an interesting detail. He said he handed him the beer just below belt level in a way that dudes and friends do, like in a symbol of camaraderie, <laughs> right? And I was like, I don't know Wait, what that what? means. What? I, don't I don't know what, what it means. That, that, means that must be a Marine thing. I, I don't know, I don't know. man. I don't, I don't yeah. know. But he said that Cock he had beer. this. I yeah, know. I don't know. But he said mm-hmm. that he had this drink, and they're lying on the bed together. And then Randy Kraft does this thing where he's like, "How do you feel about gay sex?" And he's like, "You know, I'm straight, man. I'm super, super straight. Like, you know, like this is all funny and all." Because he's like, when he realized that he was like falling in love with this man for a moment, where like wow. they talked about everything under the sun for hours. It was like that movie Before Sunset, After Sunset, mm-hmm. where they're like hanging out together, right, for an entire day. And he's like, "You know, I'm straight." And he's just like, "You know." 90% of you Marines love gay sex. He's like, you guys all love gay sex. And he's just like, no, we don't. My buddies are all straight. They're super, super straight. And he's like, yeah, not until you get him away from his friends. And then you realize he, he like hit him because he was a sniper Jeez. in the Marines. And he was just like, oh, okay, this is kind of, this is all right. This is fine. But eventually he starts ta- telling me, it's like, he convinces him to take his shirt off. You start taking some pictures, you know, and he was like, well, if you work hard for the abs, you got to show them that's off. That's what he said. Yeah. He said he felt beautiful for the first time in his life. He said it was the first time he felt seen by wow. somebody, that somebody's there, you're in. And then it wasn't until decades later, he realized that like, in a way, because he held, he held firm. He's like, I don't want to have sex with you. Like, right. this is a feeling I've never felt before, but it's not sexual in, a, in that full way. I'm not boned up. So I'm going to walk away. And he said this look of, he said it was on his face was winsome disappointment was on Randy Kraft's face where he's like, all right, well, I guess you're going to get out of here. So, but thanks for the pictures. That's something I can remember you by. And when he left, he realized, you know, he put this all together. He's like, I just put myself in this crazy position, hyper vulnerable yeah. position with this dude that I just fucking met. It happened that fast. It was like, yeah. all of a sudden you're, you're in the trap. You're in the trap. And right. he was like, in a way he felt like Randy Kraft kind of let him go. Like, because, but then there's a part of him thinks he's like, did he put a volume in the beer? Like, cause he only had two beers in there and his head started swimming. And he was just oh, like, probably. he didn't know what, what he was being overwhelmed with, but it's that moment where he's like, okay. But then I started putting two, two together when I realized who he was, the hotel was positioned in a way where if you looked out the window, you literally watched the strip where you can see from the window watching Marines walk from you know, from Fleet Week, whatever the, they're released. Right. You can watch them walk that's from the, the bars. Na- that's for the Navy men. Yes, but yeah. see whatever their time and they're off bringing is. it. they're bringing it back in New York next Run! couple of weeks. Here you go, Ron. <laughs> you go. But he like, he's like, like a sniper. He's like, he completely positioned himself perfectly. The freeway off ramp was right over, like it was like half a mile away. He can completely see physically when you could walk and when the packs are going. And he understood just go after people when they're alone and that people are different when they're out of the context of their social groups. And it's really easy to get in. He's like, yeah. And so I could see, sure, definitely. He used drugs on some guys. He used boozes on some guys. He used sex on some guys. Like he did that thing. But for me, he saw a hole in like my love spot. Like you saw a thing where he love like, he made me fall yeah. in love with him. Like Yuck. he did it. He 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 was like I witnessed the master class of a sociopath at the height of his powers, mm-hmm. and he had me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
I remember Love Spot reminds me of Jody Arias. Something about Jody Arias. I don't know. I think we have some attention to her Love Spot. Remember that? Yep. There we go. Interesting. Now, some of these Marines were, in fact, gay. But most were either just looking for rides or looking to get drunk on the cheap. But what they all shared was that they were young, between 18 and 20. And Randy Kraft took full advantage of their naivete. With Marine Roger Dickerson, Kraft chewed off his nipple and oh. penis before ooh, dumping ooh. him on a dead-end street off Laguna Beach. It's after Dickerson like a... told friends he'd found someone to drive him to Los Angeles. Oh, God, it's uh, just about biting a penis. Oh, it's turtle. Like, it's a lot. Oh. It's just a lot. Yeah. After Dickerson, three more were killed between August and November of 1974, all picked up at bars or on the side of the road. Two were just strangled, but one met his end with a four-foot-long tree branch shoved up his rectum. Oh, gosh. But perhaps the most graphic murder of a Marine, and perhaps the most grotesque of Randy's entire spree, was that of Mark Hall. Yeah, and that's what fucking, and in the book, he described Mark oh. Hall as looking like Ringo Starr, the quote-unquote slow beetle. Alone. That's what the Ringo kept said. the entire group together. Don't even get me going. I'm Team Ringo all the way. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm taken from a party where he'd passed out drunk on a couch on New Year's Eve. Hall was found three days later, naked and dead with a 0.67 BAC. The equivalent even... of it's 30 beers. I mean, no, we've I, technically we've probably had. I've nights. had thirty beers in a night. Yeah, but maybe. it's not yeah. good for you. No, and but I, it's over yeah, a period. You, when you say thirty beers in a night, you mean like you started drinking at seven and you stopped drinking at seven. Like it's I'm over drinking at noon. That's a, that's a noon. That's a noon yeah. to three a.m. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure is five six. Yeah, yeah. It's a long yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's many many hours. Now, one thing that we can say about many of these murders is that Kraft either did them in his car or beside his car, because starting with Mark Hall. Many showed evidence that the killer was using his car cigarette lighter as one of his torture tools. Are we supposed to do a gold star? I think this is Are a we gold star. I that? actually think this oh, yeah, is a gold star episode in a lot of ways. I suppose yeah, so. I don't know. Sure. I don't, I don't, I think it's so. it's kind of light. It's a light. I don't think it's light. very light. No, no, no it's really no, not light. No, I mean, man. He just chewed destroyed? a man's genitals. Yeah, dude. Yes, you are. Because he literally chewed a man's genitals. On. Yes, this is a gold star. You're the one who likes this guy. <laughs> I don't like this guy. Oh, my Lord. To tell you the honest truth, I might as well just go ahead and make the announcement now that like every serial killer episode we're going to do from now on is going to be a gold star episode because we're now where we're at with like covering serial killers. We've covered so many that the ones left are the ones that are too brutal for people to talk about. So it's just going to be this forever. Oh, Oh, great. (laughs) That's just wonderful. (laughs) Oh, God, let's get back into the, the vibe. Please. With this first one. Kraft had used the lighter to brand Hall's scrotum, cheeks, nose, upper lip, and finally, his eyeballs. Oh my God. Jesus, that sounds horrible. His legs had been cut deep, close to the bone, and a cocktail swizzle stick had been jammed into his penis all the way up to his bladder. (laughs) Finally, Kraft had cut off Hall's genitals and shoved them up Hal's rectum, along with some unidentified burned material and leaves. And according to the medical examiner, Hall was alive through most of it. And, is, and if you might need this, oh. honestly, you might need this. So if you want to play a little drinking game, 
Um, just every single time we say the word genitals, yeah, uh, take a, a big long drink, well, so that eventually is... you just pass out, like you just go to uh, sleep. Isn't that what happened to these poor victims? That's why make sure you're alone. Oh my god! And then goodness. make sure also, you don't sleep. be on a freeway. Well, the thing is, uh, yeah, don't be driving be because home. honestly, they did not put drinking in the list of the things you can do on the freeway. No, but and also try to hang your head <laughs> off the side of the bed if you could, face down, so you just puke on the floor. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. And by this point, the freeway killings were becoming a bit of a problem in Southern California. Especially yeah, it is a after... bit of a bummer, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so it's mean, hard to surf up. Jeez. Yeah, especially after five or so Marines had shown up dead on the side of the road. Problem was, though, like with the Night Stalker murders, these murders were happening in multiple precincts, and they were therefore being investigated piecemeal. For the LAPD's investigation... You had Sergeant John St. John, a.k.a. <laughs> Jigsaw John. That's because I like construction. <laughs> I guess that's a cool name. Yeah, he'd been working murders for over 20 years. Okay. But despite his ability to put cases together, hence the nickname Jigsaw John, he could see no pattern other than that they were all young and male. And their penises keep falling off. It seems <laughs> like there's a pattern. In Seal Beach, where half a dozen bodies had been found, you had Sergeant Gary Buzzard. But Buzzard was also coming up empty. But at the crime scene where Mark Hall had been found, there was a shattered bottle of liquor ironically named Winner's Vodka cool. with Randy Kraft's fingerprints still on it. You know oh. that that ain't good, man. No, if you have to say, no, not. you're a winner when you're drunk on vodka. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, sometimes you are, but a lot of the times, especially if it's in a broken bottle at the side of a freeway next to a gentleless corpse, yeah, you might be not a winner. No, winner's yeah. vodka, it sounds like that'll make you blind more so than the cigarette lighters yeah, there. It should it honestly like only be, gin. it should be only for closers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> However, Randy had never been arrested. So this bottle would remain unused until Randy's trial. But as Randy took two more victims, the investigation ramped up. Detectives looked closely at the practice of putting socks into the anuses because it was implied that the killer might have a military background. Additionally, some had white tissue shoved up their nose for the same purpose of purge prevention. These techniques implied that the killer was driving long distances with the bodies in his car and wanted to keep the whole business from getting messier than it needed to be. Technically, that's good cop work. Yeah, mm -hmm. they, so they're onto something here. They're trying. They are actually, trying. At this point, they are trying. <sighs> well, okay. just because, you know, we've talked about this all the time. Like, you know, that sometimes laziness of cops could know no bounds. But like this type of massive amounts of bodies just rolling up like really shows mm -hmm. like oh like oh no like this is this ain't good especially like when the cops look like the victims you know what yeah. I mean? like you starting to see yourself really, a little that, bit you starting to get a little bit of that you get a wet upper lip like wondering like you know it kind of kind of looks like my brother it kind of looks like me and you start to like you know am i next it right. really helps mm -hmm. to give them a little bit of fear that is interesting yeah. now eventually the fbi was brought in for a profile Profile said that the killer lived some distance from his crimes, cruised to find victims, and was methodical and cunning. This actually pegged Randy's M.O., but really didn't do much in terms of capture. A psychiatrist at UC Irvine also took a stab at the profile, speculating that the killer was, quote, completely baffled as to his sexual preference. I think he Wait, knows what? exactly what his sexual <laughs> yeah. preferences is. I yeah. think the one yeah. thing that we can say is that he seems to know what he likes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Getting a little too into Freud territory, the psychiatrist said that the killer bit the nipples and genitals off his victims to make them female, thus reinforcing the killer's self-image of masculinity. He would just kill women if that was the case. I have a gum addiction. (laughs) I actually, but you also, you didn't say that correctly, Marcus. How am I supposed to say it? Psychiatrist says it's a killer bits (laughs) and nipples and genitals off his victims. To make some females. No, you're just making that up. <laughs> no, no, I am just always studying the nipple removal signs. <laughs> All right. Now, profiles aside, Randy Kraft did almost get caught on his 13th victim. But unfortunately, his presumed assumption that a sheen of gay keeps the cops away proved once again to be correct. That's our next piece of merch. Wow. <laughs> we're going to sell that on a t-shirt. A yes. sheen of gay keeps, keeps the, cops the cops away. away. yeah. yeah. In March of 1975, Randy found 19-year-old Keith Crotwell and 15-year-old Kent May hanging out in a parking lot near Belmont Shore. Kraft pulled up in his black-and-white 1974 Mustang and offered the boys a ride. They accepted, and after a little bit of driving, Kraft gave them Valium with a few beers to wash it down. Eventually, Kent May noticed just before he passed out in the back seat that Randy wasn't taking or drinking anything. Well, he's driving. Hey, he's driving. Yeah, yeah. so this is where he toes the line. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No, no, he just likes to pick up kids and give them beer and show them a good time. Yeah, you know? That's totally it. Like normal. old like dudes do that. Like it's yeah. the same yeah. thing dudes do for kids. Kid, sure. the back of Kissel's truck le- the other day I saw him, he had like 10 kids yeah, back 10? there <laughs> all right. chanting like drop us off yeah. drop us off I mean that's weird and then he had that weird Randy Craft number one bumper sticker and I was like that's <laughs> I didn't know where you got that I don't what did I do that. to deserve this today oh my goodness but instead of winding up dead on the side of the road Kent May woke up in his own bed apparently a couple of other kids hanging out in the parking lot said that Randy's Mustang pulled back in and Kent got shoved out onto the pavement, unconscious. The kids took Kent home, but when Keith Crotwell never showed back up, those same kids filed a police report. Well over a month later, three teenagers out on the beach near a marina jetty spotted Keith Crotwell's decomposing skull with rotting flesh still attached to the brows, cheeks, and temples. The rest of his body was never found. Oh, my. Now this, as it always is, should have been the end of it, and it should have been ended by the cops. But as it went, Randy's distinctive Mustang was not found by the cops, but by two Scooby-Doo teenagers who took it upon themselves to find it. Holy shit. There's a sock in the butthole, Scoob. They actually did. They. Oh, my God. If you're a kid, this is kind of cool, it's right? Just, in a sense, because this is what you always dream of. But in reality, it's really bad. It's, it's very the, scary. Was yeah. it the movie? Uh, was it the with the uh, with Jerry O'Connell in it as the chubby boy? In Stand, it? By, Stand me. by me. Stand by me. What was worse was the fact that the Mustang was found less than a mile from where Kraft had picked up the boys. The kids took the location of Kraft's car to the police, who sent a detective named Mike Woodward. But all Woodward was focused on when he went to Kraft's apartment was Kraft's big gay mustache, the poster of a big gay man hanging oh on his wall, God. and Kraft's quote-unquote gay tendencies when he spoke. 
Yeah, he showed up. He had little boy shorts on. He had a lampshade on his head. And he just went like, <laughs> golly gee, you want some Rita's? You know, like, and they're just all like. Just a new stereotype is formed in the officer's mind. Well, that's what happens. That's yeah. what gay men do. They dress as oh, furniture. But he is, on. he's one of those guys, too, where he'd shapeshift. Because, yeah. again, when you see, he'd act super, not, he'd, you know, he'd do the macho thing. Like, he's got the macho thing. He's got the fun gay normal mm-hmm. stand-up man thing right because then he has his like me and my boyfriend we right. enjoy our time together and we have we maintain petunias every saturday and then like and then you have this where he just like he does the whole like floppy wrist mince thing to be like right. you don't worry about me i mean yeah. i'm just a silly little <laughs> goose i wouldn't do anything like that you know what i mean like so it's scary wow yeah. After talking to Kraft, woodward came up with the theory that Kraft had picked up the two boys and gave them a little too much to drink after dropping one off, Kraft made the moves on the other by the marina. But Crotwell probably just fell in the water somehow. Where's the rest of his body? Yeah. Do you, banana attached. peels are all over SoCal. Oh, banana yeah. peels are all over Southern California. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> well, I you took a picture. You slip on them on the sand. Dude, I, look at this. Look at oh, this. my look goodness. Up. You want to talk about this? What Did I just you see took a, a banana peel? Look at, the, look at the picture I just took this, this morning well, when Polish, I pulled into the studio. Look at this. That is a banana peel right outside the door of my fucking car. That is a banana peel. Randy Kraft, too, <laughs> is striking again, trying to get me to accidentally, yeah. quote unquote, wink, 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 trip into a harbor. Look at that. Uh-huh. Check your, Do you uh, see it, Marcus? I, I don't see your, it. You're uh, holding it up to a fucking Zoom camera. I can't it see it matter. at all. It's a banana peel. <laughs> it's a banana peel. I Strategically can, I, placed. Yeah, dude. I, I live in New York City. I see banana peels on the street Short. every fucking day of my life. It's oh. really a non sequitur. Check check your rectum uh, <laughs> later on this evening, though, just oh. to make sure. Oh, you yeah, know, I've been jamming socks up there just so that, it, honestly, it pads the roids. <laughs> All right. Well, Kraft, according to the police theory, was afraid that his sexuality would be exposed. So when the boy fell into the water, he just walked away to let him drown. Oh, my but God. At least that's the police theory. And they were fine with this theory, by the that's way. That's fine. Like, well, also, that's what happened. Uh, boys fall into rivers and stay there forever. Yeah. Oh, Every day. Now, at first, Kraft denied ever meeting either boy. But on his second interview, he said that he dropped off Kent after the kid got too drunk. Then he continued driving around with Crotwell. But when Kraft's car got stuck on an embankment, Crotwell wandered off while they were waiting for a tow truck. Which is another runaway boy. And then he just lost his entire body somehow. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yep. Now, to the detective's slight credit, they did surmise after the second interview that this dude totally killed that kid. He might have killed this child. <laughs> so let's just press yeah. charges then. We have enough? Mm, no. Nope. No? No evidence. No. no evidence. No body. Because that's the thing is that they had gone and talked to him and let him know. It was like, oh, you killed someone. The cops are kind of on your trail. I'm sure he cleaned up his car. I'm sure he made sure there was no evidence. And there was nothing that was connecting Randy to a murder. There was no body. It was just a head. So no body, was, no crime. It's we, gotta yeah, be. The head this. has got to count for something. But all right. But Kraft was set free. Crotwell's death was ruled as an accidental drowning, and Kraft was allowed to murder dozens of times more. Wow. Who do they think removed the head? Flounder? I don't. I mean, that's the thing. It would be Sebastian, if anything. <laughs> oh, He's true. got the claws. The claws. Yeah. Well, well, a body will dissipate once it gets into the ocean. Saltwater fucks up a body real bad. And then you got the seals. There's a bunch of seals down there. The seals are going to fuck up a body quite a bit. I yeah. actually got an email. Oh, yeah, seals. Seal killers of the ocean. But I also <laughs> got an email after we talked about finding skeletons in the underneath the water. Yes. And it's actually... It, it does kind of preserve... Like, things would be together. His skeleton would be together still. 
Right. It would take a lot from his head to be separated from his skeleton unless it was snipped off. By a seal. <sighs> Something's got to happen. Is, who <laughs> is this fucking happen. Jeffrey Dahmer seal? <laughs> I don't know. That's that's it. We're not going to start passing blame on seals here. Okay. <laughs> this is more. This is about Randy Kraft. Go to the zoo. Did. If you are free this weekend, get fucking absolutely blind drunk at the zoo and start accusing seals of murdering little boys. Oh well, the nice thing is you could do a tight five in front of the seals and they'll clap for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, possibly because Kraft was getting his kicks elsewhere, he began winding down from his more hedonistic bar hopping cruising days, and he became more interested in dinner parties and vacations at Key West. He was becoming a respectable gay. Is this what's happening to our friends? Yeah, I hope not. (laughs) It's what happens to all of us eventually. We get into serial murder and then we That's get into dinner parties. Right. <laughs> no, we start getting more into It's not so much about going out and getting fucked up all the time. It's about, you know, let's all get together and have dinner. Or like, let's take a nice vacation together. Yeah, yeah that's, that's not, not the bad time. part. Yeah, when you blow, after you're done blowing loads into the dismembered butthole of a devil corpse. <laughs> that's the problem. Boyfriend Jeff Graves, however, four years younger than Randy, he didn't feel the same way. Mm. They therefore broke up permanently. And Randy started seeing another Jeff named Jeff Selig, described by author Dennis McDougal as, quote, a chubby apprentice baker. Whatever, dog. Oh, come on. He better be. If you're a baker, I want you kind of chubby. Absolutely. By the start of 1976, Randy would move in with the second Jeff, and Selig would spend eight years living with Kraft, never once suspecting that his partner was a serial killer. Oh, my God. And that's where we'll pick back up. For part two of Randy Craft. Oh my oh, god. Lordy. You don't know who anybody is ever. And I just I want mean, you to you remember can, that well, you don't know who your spouse is. You, you do. don't know who your friends are. You don't know anything really about them. I'm gonna say it's rare to find out that your partner is a serial murderer to the point where they killed 67 people. 25%. Not 25%. <laughs> oh my god. One percent is enough. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening uh, to this episode. We're back to murder. That's for dang sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we hope you're all doing well out there. We uh, I don't know how to segue into come see us live. Yeah, we won't. Uh, we're hey, going to be listen, in Jacksonville, Atlanta, we won't Memphis. Turn you into a bunch of parts oh, if you come see us live. Absolutely not. From falling apart from laughter, laughter. and we'll only split <laughs> sides when it comes to our jokes. That's right. Oh. Uh, all right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening. <laughs> yeah, it's good. That's good. It's really good material. Good. Do we solid. have any that's, other plug? We that's got solid. Soul that's what you call salesmanship. Salesmanship. <laughs> we got last comic book on the left. If you look over at Z2, you still get your pre-orders in. We're writing stuff for that right now. It's going to be really fun. We have... Soul Plumber. Soul Plumber number six has been released. It's out yep. of the uterus. Yep, Soul Plumber 6 is out, so if you've been waiting for the entire series to be done before you read it so you can do it all in one go, you can now do it. Uh, You can uh, Please try to go down to your local comic book store and uh, pick up all six issues if you can. Uh, If you can't, you you can read it on whatever comic book app you prefer. Uh, But thanks to everyone uh, so much uh, who... Thanks to everyone who read it so much and all the kind words. Like We really fucking appreciate it. We worked really hard on it, and it was a a fun Frank Hannenlotter type ride for us. It was fucking awesome. You guys did a fantastic job writing that it was so entertaining and john mccray and pj holden it's just a fantastic job by them as well um so we're just so lucky to have such talented people all out there it's amazing what people can do 
<laughs> he really is. You it know, and really sometimes is. what they can do is get you so drunk, you get a 0.67 <sighs> blood alcohol level, Jesus. and they cut off your lips and your scrotum. It's crazy what people can do. It really is. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Take care of yourselves. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Yogin. Magoostalations, everybody. Yeah, it's nice, man. Just yeah. be, yeah, be careful, man. Be and careful. Be, and again, never. Go to a second location. I don't know how many times we have to say this throughout our entire tenure here. Ugh, Never go to yeah, a second it's location. It's hard when you're drugged like that. Yeah. Oh, yes. 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 Well, yes. Ne- ne- never take drugs from a stranger. That's that's another thing. Unless uh, or hot. a drink, or a drink from a stranger, or anything like that. Unless, again, if those are really, really hot. That's also unless it's super hot. Yeah, that that yeah. is true. Yeah, then you have no choice. Then you have to. None. And hot right? people don't lie. They you never like, lie. You sound like horrible <laughs> parents trying to give a lesson before their kids go to Bonnaroo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> never trust a man named Spider who doesn't sell <laughs> reptiles. That's a good point. <laughs> this show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. At Founders Brewing Company, we set out to create a beer that lets you embrace the unconventional. Mortal Bloom is a radiantly beautiful, hazy IPA that will wrap your taste buds with intense citrus and tropical notes of pineapple and mango. Coming in at 6.2% ABV with big aromatics and no bitterness, it's the perfect beer, if we do say so ourselves. Visit foundersbrewing.com to find Mortal Bloom Hazy IPA. The legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. Mixed with blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar for the perfect balance of sweet, salty, and sour every time. Discover legendary taste with Cayman Jack, America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois.